everybody, and welcome to the April 28, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. Okay. Now, I've covered Matt Gatiz, and I've been told, by the way, his name is actually pronounced Gates. No, man. You have a Z at the end. This isn't the 90s. You can't just use a Z for an S anymore. No, you're Gatiz, okay? You're always going to be Gatiz. Either have the S, or accept the fact that your name is Gatiz. I don't care which one. I don't care which one. I just want to know. But anyway, Gatiz has been running as the pure Trumper of the house. That's basically his whole career, is just kind of being this right-wing populist figure, and it turns out he's more similar to Trump than some people might realize. This is from Political Tribune. Florida Bar confirmed they've opened an investigation into Matt Gatiz for obstruction of impeachment hearings. Again, this is from Political Tribune. This was released yesterday. It seems like we've been waiting forever for news that someone, anyone, was doing something about the Florida congressman who's been essentially nothing more than a menace to society, Republican Matt Gatiz. Okay, this website may be a little biased, but I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, Gatiz has had a controversial career from once still to so short. Tales of his drunken escapades, legislative sex games, and cheating his way out of legal trouble using his politician father to escape punishment are already legendary among both supporters and detractors. But the time is long past for Gatiz to face some kind of accountability for his behavior during the impeachment inquiry and trial of President Donald Trump. On multiple occasions, Gatiz attempted to enter restricted hearings to which he had no right to attend, including storming of a secure room in which no electronic devices were allowed. Of course. Just of course. Um, because why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? In the committee hearing that Gatiz was authorized to attend, his behavior often resembled a 2019 Florida Bar Assessment in which they said he was, quote, unprofessional, reckless, insensitive, and demonstrated poor judgment. That corrective language from the governing body for the lawyers in the Sunshine State came after Gatiz had threatened to expose, quote, dirt on Michael Cohen, Trump's former personal attorney, ahead of his testimony before the House. And although that act of witness intimidation didn't get Gatiz's law license yanked, the Florida Bar has just sustained a report that they have an active investigation open into Gatiz once again. Oh my god, Matt. Oh my god. Congratulations, Mr. Gatiz. You might lose your license to practice law. <laughs> This is exactly what I expect from people like this. I just cannot stress enough. This is exactly what I expect to happen when Trumpers enter politics. And we know what's going to happen. Gatiz is going to hold some big song and dance about how he's actually the victim here. And it's going to be nonsense. But hey, I'll get to laugh at it so it will be worth it. To the people of Florida, I'm sorry. I don't even particularly like you guys. And I feel bad for you because of this madman known as Matt Gatiz. That confirmation came in the form of a letter to Steve Seminis, the chair of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. Seminis sent in a complaint of his own to the bar, 
and their response indicated that they wouldn't be addressing him because they already had an investigation underway. Congratulations. Just congratulations. And then let's see Matt try and use his dad's name to get out of this pickle. Oh, God. Oh, God. Matt. Just Matt. Just, uh, wow. You've been in office for a single term. And already, you are quite possibly the most hated person in the house. Uh, congratulations, that takes work. You know, it reminds me of the last politician I kind of saw rise like this. Where it's just everybody hated him, but he wouldn't shut up or understand the rules, was Ted Cruz. So congratulations, Matt. You are the second Ted Cruz. How do you feel? How do you feel? I mean, this is just ridiculous. The guy's been in office for a single term. And already the Florida Bar Association has to look into him because he just so brazenly violates the rules. He is reality incorrect. There's no better way of putting it. He is reality incorrect. And to Matt... I just want to say your career is going to fall and it is going to be absolutely hilarious. Anyway, um, this comes out from the Gateway Pundit. Judge rules that Virginia governor's gun range shut down is against the law. Oh man, talk about judicial supremacy. Isn't that right, Josh Hammer? Let's see your tweet about that. Oh, you don't have one. How about you, Daniel uh, Horowitz? You have it? You wrote that whole book on judicial supremacy. Where is it? Where is your whole tweet on why this is bullshit? Uh, oh, you also don't have one. Uh, for those who don't know, judicial supremacy in the context of how Republicans use it uh, typically means not allowing states to ban pornography. That's basically what it comes down to. I remember um, Matt Walsh was doing, I called this out on Liberty Hawk. He was doing this big thing about the common good when it came to banning pornography. Then when it came to stopping the spread of an airborne virus, all of a sudden, sorry, that's tyrannical. You have the constitutional right to go up to people while sick and start breathing in their faces. That's, that's in the Constitution somewhere. It's just, uh, this bothers me so much, but okay, let, let's actually read what's going on in this case, because may, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. A Virginia judge has ruled the Democratic Governor Ralph Northam's closure of indoor gun ranges due to coronavirus violates gun rights laws in the state. Um, your right to shoot at things, very important one. Judge F. Patrick Yetis of the 24th Judicial Circuit of Virginia 
ruled in favor of Lynchburg Range in training, which challenged Northern shutdown and order in the court. The Washington Free Beacon reports that Yeda said the governor's emergency powers are limited under Virginia law and cannot restrict the, quote, otherwise lawful possession, carrying, transportation, sale, or transport of firearms. That's what? What? That's not what that was restricting. Okay. Yeah. You can still carry your firearm to wherever you can legally go. The only thing we're saying is you can't legally go to a gun range. That What is being violated there? Seriously, what is actually being, in terms of gun law, violated there? That's a serious question. I can't figure it out. I really can't. So because it's illegal for the governor to ban the transportation of guns, that means it's illegal for the governor to then say you can't go somewhere with gun. Or without gun, for that matter. If I show up to this gun range without a gun, will I still be arrested? Seriously, will I still be arrested? I don't know. I, I don't know. The governor appears to argue that when he declares a state of emergency, he can ignore any law that limits the power, even laws designed to limit the power during a state of emergency. Yedis wrote, the court cannot agree with such an expansive interpretation of the governor's authority. And this is like the most bare bones example of authority possible. So he can close down anything else he wants to. Anything else he wants to under this ruling, except for gun ranges. How is that not more absurd? The Northern Administration attempted to defend the ban by pointing out that outdoor ranges are still open, but Judge Yeda shot them down, saying, quote, The right to keep and bear arms is not regulated to the outskirts of the city, and the fundamental rights jurisprudence, I couldn't for the life of me remember how to say that word for some reason. Welcome to Peaceful Globalist Review, where we talk about complex gun policy without actually knowing what the words are. Uh, no, what? 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 How is this restricting your right to keep and bear arms? Seriously, how is this restricting that? It's not the governor going around taking your guns. It's not the governor even stopping you from buying guns. It's him stopping you from going to one specific place that just so happens to have guns. Tell me, is it a violation of my right to keep and bear arm if, say, I go into a restaurant and says they don't want to have guns, and they say you can't go in there because you have a gun on you? Is that a violation of the Second Amendment? No, obviously not. If I go over to my buddy's house, maybe my buddy's an anti-gun guy, and he says, sorry, guy, sorry, buddy, but you can't bring your gun into my house, could I sue him? Could I honestly sue him? 
Obviously not, and that's why this ruling is utterly ridiculous. And look, I don't believe in gun control. I really don't, okay? I, I have no issue with people who have guns. I don't own any guns personally. So I'll admit I'm not the best guy on this subject. And I don't typically believe in gun control, but I do believe at the very, very least that we should not have this kind of reverse gun control, if you will, where guns are held to a higher standard in our society than anything else. So you're telling me that the governor during a state of emergency has the power to close supermarkets and stores and schools, but not the power to close gun ranges. That is, if anything, reverse gun control. You are putting guns on a higher standard than we put anything else. And that is, in my mind, equally as ridiculous. That is, at that point, actual gun fetishization. Which is a problem in our country, make no mistake. Um, then there's a quote from the ruling. The court understands the governor's desire to protect the citizens of our great commonwealth, but in taking steps to stop the spread of COVID-19, he took a step beyond what is allowed by Virginia law. Not really, no. The judge then granted a temporary injection, barring the state from closing Lynchburg range and training, but the injection does not apply to all ranges in the state. However, it did lay the groundwork for overturning the ban statewide. Why does this need to be overturned? I'm sorry, why does this need to be overturned? That's a serious question. Why the hell does this need to be overturned? So you're telling me, in a time of crisis, again, Governor of Virginia can close down schools, but he can't close down gun ranges. What kind of sense does that actually make? It doesn't. We're weighing in our options because our ultimate goal is that we want all indoor ranges free of this. Philip Van Cleve, a president of the Virginia Citizens Defense League, told the Free Beacon what the judge laid out was great reasoning why, really, none of the ranges should be falling under this. So, again... Where is the big lawsuit to stop any other shutdown? Where is the big lawsuit saying that, oh, governor can't close schools, governor can't close anything, anything? No, it's just gun ranges. It's just gun ranges specifically. We have millions of people out of work right now, in the state of Virginia even, and the biggest concern is whether or not we have gun ranges open. What kind of priorities are those? Seriously. Doesn't make any sense. Anyway, uh, Josh Hawley, Senator Hawley, has a new plan for this country, and Breitbart is slobbering all over it to the point where I just figured I'd show you an article, killed two birds with one stone. So you know it's good if Breitbart is just slobbering over it. And mind you, Breitbart slobbers over Josh Hawley all the time, so I don't very much find this abnormal. But okay, let's read what Breitbart thinks about Josh Hawley. Oh, yay. This was written by a guy named... <laughs> I'm sorry. Sean Moran. <laughs> I'm sorry! I, I couldn't help but start laughing. Sean, Sean Moran, everybody. Get a Brian Moran! 
Holy crap! Holy crap! Um. Anyway, let, let's just dunk on Breitbart for ten minutes. I I need this, okay? I'm sorry. I need this after today. Senator, Senator Josh Hawley, our Missouri, sent a letter to Attorney General William Barr on Tuesday, that's today, urging him to open a criminal antitrust investigation against Amazon for stilting, or sliffing, sliffing, stiliffing. Is that even a word? I'm going to double check this now. Oh, stiffing. Okay, the L was throwing me off. Um, and for the record, that word means very hot and causing difficulties breathing. Uh, oh, Amazon, you're getting your competition very hot and bothered. It's getting really steamy in here. I, sorry, I couldn't help it. According to the Wall Street Journal report released last week, Amazon used data and sales to develop its own competing product against other businesses <gasps> competing on its Amazon marketplace, the journal wrote. Okay. Uh, oh, no. The online retail giant has long arrested, including to Congress... Asserted, according to, including the Congress, that when it makes and sales its own product, it doesn't use information it collects from the site's individual third-party seller data, those sellers view as priority. Well, okay, everybody knows that's kind of bullshit. Let's be real here. Like, you knew that was at least kind of bullshit. And by the way, as for the claim that, oh man... The, the, these businesses, Amazon and Facebook is the big one, as well as Google, have all this data on me. Where are these people regarding the NSA, which has far more data? Seriously, it has far more data. Um, you know, and for that matter, what is the big concern here? I really don't get So they'll get information on me. That, I don't know, I go on YouTube and watch um, a video um, by Defunct Land or Blame It on Jorg. And then they're going to sell to me a product that appeals to my interests. Oh, no. Like, I really don't see the big concern here. I'm sorry. As long as, mind you, assuming we reform subpoena power, because subpoena power is a big issue right now. That is basically how the government gets most of its data. However, there the issue is unlimited subpoena power, not the fact that, what, some server somewhere contains a profile on me. That really doesn't bother me all that much. Sorry, I have other things to be bothered about. Um, but okay, let's actually look at what Holly said. Holly conduct or contended that Amazon's business practices serve as an existential threat to small businesses. How? How? Give me one way that's the case. Competing against Amazon on the internet giant's marketplace. 
These practices are alarming for Amazon's small or for America's small businesses, even under ordinary circumstances. But at a time when most small retail businesses must rely on Amazon because of coronavirus-related shutdowns, predatory data practices. Where is the predatory part? Seriously, you can't just put predatory in front of something and make it scary. Oh no, there's the predatory road. What when? The owner of a small um, deli orders ham from Amazon. They're going to know that deli buys ham? Is that is that the threat? Is that really the threat? Like, seriously, this doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Um... Amazon's reported data practices are an existential threat that may prevent these businesses from ever recovering. How? How? Ser seriously, how? You haven't explained that in the slightest. I mean, I'm being serious. What? Is it because they just have data? Okay. Holly knows that the European Union, those lovely people, already opened an investigation into Amazon using data in an anti-competitive fashion against third-party businesses. Okay, you know what, let's... I, I skipped out some parts of the interview. Let's read that. Maybe it will make more sense. Yet interviews with more than 20 former employees of Amazon's private label business and document reviewed by the Wall Street Journal revealed that employees did just that, which is sell third-party data. Such information can help Amazon decide how to price an item which features to copy or whether to enter a product segment based on its earning potential. Oh, no. According to people familiar with the practices, including a certain employee and some former employees who participate in it, in one instance, Amazon employees accused documents and data about a best-selling car truck organizer sold by a third-party vendor. The information included total sales, how much the vendor paid Amazon for marketing and shipping, and how much Amazon made on each sale. Amazon's private label arm later introduced its own car truck organizers. Okay. Again, I'm really not seeing the concern here. Um, but seriously, I mean, and even then, this could be solved relatively easily by just not shopping on Amazon, but that's out of the window. That's out. Of, we can't even consider maybe you just don't spend all your time on Facebook posting dog pictures and giving everyone who asks your address what it is. Maybe you'd have more privacy. We can't even consider that. Um. But, like, what's the threat here? I really don't... What is the big concern? Um, is it that they later... What? Seriously, what? There is still nothing stopping you from going to other distributors or producers or whatever the concern is here. Amazon's just offering you another option. Oh, no. It's the fact these people just hate choice. That's what it comes down to. These people just hate choice. 
Um, but okay, let's finish up the article. In light of the enormous evidence already gathered, I ask you to look into this issue and open a criminal antitrust investigation of Amazon. Holly, again, what has Amazon done? Seriously, what has Amazon actually done? I mean, I can't figure it out. I really can't. Is it that they just have information they could theoretically use to open up more distribution networks? I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Literally the only thing Amazon is is it's a, it's a distribution network. Seriously, that's really all it is. It's just Walmart and shopping form. And now what? We're we're supposed to believe that oh man, they're harming consumers. Okay, how many options do you have? Just look at books or DVDs or whatever. Do you have now versus before Amazon? If you wanted a book or a DVD or something, yeah, I hope a bookstore had it or a store had it. Now you can just look online. Did that cause some DVD stores to close and some bookstores to close? Probably. I'll admit that. Probably. But the consumer was still much better off. And you know what the truth is? I am sick of these people complaining about closings of small businesses that they've never gone to. Seriously, how many of the liberals angry that Amazon's destroyed small bookstores or small chains or all that have actually gone to the chains Amazon destroyed? I'll promise you none because then they wouldn't have been destroyed in the first place. I'm sorry. This hatred of Amazon is just utter nonsense. Anyway, here's Joe Biden just being stupid. Joe Biden, travel bans prevent, quote, economic intercourse around the world. Um, broke, fuck free trade. Woke, fucking free trade. <laughs> Monday during an interview with CBS4 Miami, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden said the United States cannot engage in, quote, economic intercourse unless the Chinese coronavirus pandemic is defeated worldwide. What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, here is a transcript of what was said. Jim Deffied, I guess that was the guy talking, said, if you're elected president, will you restore funding to the World Health Organization because Trump has massively cut WHO funding, basically because he's bitter that they're not going along with his anti-China narrative. Uh, Joe Biden, yes, I will, but I will also insist that we do what we were doing before. We set up a pandemic office in the White House, President Obama. We had CDC, the folks at the Center for Disease Control, stationed in other countries to anticipate when we might see a virus coming, a pandemic coming. Because there's going to be more of these, I would be much more engaged in the world. We can't step back if, in fact, for example... We solved the problem in the United States of America, and you don't solve it in other parts of the world. You know what's going to happen. You're going to have travel bans. You're not going to be able to do have economic intercourses around the world. Now, here's the thing. We can make fun of Biden's gaffe there. Okay? And it was a gaffe. Don't, don't get me wrong. 
But the point he's making, the point that he's making that the mainstream media is not going to talk about, they're just going to make fun of the crazy old man, um, is correct. The Trump administration has dramatically, we've covered some of the stories, only some of them, we haven't even got around to all of them. We've covered some of the stories about how the administration has been defunding various efforts that could have helped stop a pandemic. Seriously, including pandemic response forces, various parts of the CDC, all of it. They've been defunding all of it. And there's a good chance that had that funding stayed, COVID-19 wouldn't have happened. Seriously, there is actually a chance that had that funding stayed, COVID-19 might not have happened, or at least wouldn't be as bad as it is right now. So the underlying point Biden is making is correct. It is absolutely, positively correct. As for the gaffe, that's what they're going to want you to focus on. Don't focus on that. Do not focus on that underlying point of what Biden is actually saying. Again, that this administration could have stopped this pandemic. What the? Okay, there we go. Audacity, like, froze for a second. The administration could have helped stop this pandemic, but they just outwardly refused to. They just outwardly refused. And that is going to be the part that we actually need by to discuss. Will he discuss it? I can't tell you for sure. I hope he does. I certainly hope he does. But it looks like instead the media is just going to point his fingers at him and go, ha ha, you said something kind of silly. And he did. He did. But then they're not going to address the substance and Trump is going to get away with this. And if he gets reelected, that's how it's going to happen. Anyway, here's a story from The Hill. I cannot um, get the... Okay, well, that, there we go. Kentucky Attorney General calls governor's travel restrictions unconstitutional. No, they aren't. They objectively aren't. But okay. Kentucky Republican Attorney General called Governor Andy Bishar's Democrat order banning out-of-state travel unconstitutional a motion field in federal court Monday. Attorney General Daniel Cameron was originally included as a defendant in the woman's lawsuit challenging the travel restrictions, filed a motion to slide with the plaintiffs according to the court records obtained by the Lexington Herald Beater. Beshar ordered that bans against traveling in and out of state in late March to reduce the spread of coronavirus. So here's my question. That's unconstitutional. Is immigration restriction? Serious question. Is immigration restriction also unconstitutional? Because we've banned travel from other countries. Is that wrong? Well, according to these people, no. So why is it therefore states can't do the same thing? Especially, again, during a state of emergency. Like, really? Really? We're doing this still? Um... Um... Allison Alexandrio, that's a name if I've ever heard one, 
who has since left the lawsuit, sued Bayshare and Cameron. The lawsuit still has two other plaintiffs who backed Cameron's decision to join their side. Here, the governor's travel ban impressively violates the fundamental right of every Kentucky citizen to interstate travel. They also have the right to go to, like, China or Ireland or England or anywhere besides the other states. Like, really? Really? We're arguing this? Here's the thing that gets me. Because I don't necessarily oppose this lawsuit. I just want to know where we're stopping. Because it seems to me if we're just stopping with interstate travel, we're stopping a little early. Okay, we're stopping a little early. Like, why not challenge the entire concept of borders? Seriously, why not? And that's me seriously asking. I want that concept to be challenged because I do feel there is some invalidity to it. Invalidity? I don't know what the word would be. There are parts of it that are invalid. Okay? However, if this is really where we're stopping, that's kind of lame. When the initial lawsuit was filed, Bashir said at a press conference, quote, I'm not worried about it and we will win. The governor has said he wants to put politics aside during the coronavirus crisis, but his veto of a bill that would have allowed Cameron to ban abortion during the pandemic sparked disagreement between Bashir and the attorney general. I'm Again, no, duh. So this is it? You're just bitter he didn't ban abortion during COVID-19? That's really what I'm getting out of this. Seriously, that's what I'm getting out of this. You're just bitter you didn't ban abortion. I mean, hey, if it leads to an outcome I agree with, I won't be mad. I really won't be mad. But my point is, I kind of like it if it was for a better reason. You know? Anyway, here's some news that comes out of New York City. I want to wake up in the city that never sleeps. I'll never sink again, I promise. Um, this is also from The Hill. The Blasio says New York schools dropping traditional grades for some students. And now I'm trying to find a font size that actually allows me to read this. Will that work? Okay, that looks like that will work. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio said Tuesday that the city's schools will be implementing a revised grading system for most of its students as the country's largest district continues to conduct classes through virtual learning amid the coronavirus pandemic. Students in kindergarten through fifth grade will receive either meets the standard or needs improvement, while middle school students, those in grades 6 through 8, will receive meets standards, needs improvement, or course in progress the mayor announced at a press conference. I, I really don't get... I'm going to be honest with you guys. I really don't get the point of these revised grading systems. I mean, I had those kind of revised grading systems for a while when I was in elementary school. I think it was like halfway through third grade. They actually started giving us real letter grades before then. It was like, oh, can you make the face... Oh, no, you got... A smiley face, a kind of sad face, and a very big frown. You are doing bad. And the issue with that has always been, it's not as accurate of a measurement. I'm sorry, it's just not. The most accurate measurement isn't even letter grades, if I'm being honest with you. 
His letter grades are not really accurate in regards to telling you where a student is, as a lot of people think they are, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, in truth, the most accurate measure is just percentages. It's just what percent does this student have in this class? That's it. That's it. That is the most accurate method you have of telling how a student is doing. It's just percentages. And mind you, he started kind of doing all these letter grades to easy to make it so you could keep track easier of students' grades. It used to be like there were literal books teachers would just write and they'd have to average everything out and it would just be a massive pain. Or for that matter, I don't know how true this is, but I assume there were just some teachers who estimated. And that was a lot easier with letters than with percentages, let me let, let me tell you. Uh but no, in the era of computers, what excuse do we really have to not just go to blatant percents? Seriously, what excuse do we have to not just say language arts, your child got 86%? Or English, your child got 86%. Uh, I don't know, math, your child got 91%. Um. I don't know. What else? What else? Uh, science. Your child got 73%. Why not just do that now? Seriously. And why do we need to simplify it even further? Is my question. Or if you insist on doing the Blasio's method, why do we, why not just do both? Why not have both letter grades and like the smiley face? Just, okay, here is how that grade translates into smiley faces. There. I just made everyone happy, except me, because the entire concept of letter grades and of smiley face grades is stupid. Just go to blatant percentages already. Oh, there will be some percentages that will be incalculable. Well, that's the teacher's fault. I'm not sorry. My child got 73.9642 repeating. Oh, no! <laughs> um, and the question is, of course, then, do these grades actually tell if students are learning? And there's been tons of debate there. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, it depends really on the school district in regards to that. But that's, again, another story for another day. The education system has tons of flaws, but, you know... There has to be a sense of flexibility, de Blasio said. We have to recognize that some kids are having a tougher time because of this crisis, emotionally and academically, and we have to help them catch up. Well, then wait a minute, wait a minute. Wouldn't it make more sense to curve these grades then, as opposed to introducing a new... If this system is temporary, and it may just be temporary, why not just temporarily curve the grades? Why not just curve the grades based on status of technology, for instance? Wouldn't that make more sense? Or have parents have the ability to file for some kind of leniency? Wouldn't that make more sense than what de Blasio is doing? I'm being dead serious. I'm being dead serious.
Uh, high school students will still receive letter grades, but those who fail a class will get a, quote, course in progress and will be enrolled in, quote, summer fail support programs to just summer school. Just summer school. Okay. Additionally, high school students who receive a passing letter grade in a class will receive the option to change their grades to pass, which won't affect their GPA. Okay. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. They will also have until January to turn in any outstanding schoolwork. De Blasio also announced that there would be a virtual graduation ceremony for the city's seniors who can't graduate normally due to social distancing guidelines. We're going to do one big celebration of New York high school seniors. We're going to make it something very special, he said. You may not have the traditional ceremony that you are looking forward to. We're going to give you something you will remember for the rest of your life you and you will cherish. So, as of what I think regarding de Blasio's view specifically, I'm not necessarily against it at the time, but I would have instead curved the grades or had parents have some sort of application that they could fail out that would theoretically give leniency to their child as opposed to what de Blasio is doing. Although I don't mind giving students the option to remove a grade from a GPA after a massive change like this. That I'm not opposed to. That I am not opposed to in the slightest. Um, so I feel like de Blasio's method here is not necessarily bad, but it's just not how I would have gone about it. I'll give de Blasio, that's one that I'm expecting from him. Seriously, that is more than I'm expecting from Bill DeCamio. I can't call him that because that doesn't rhyme. But that's, you know, it's still not the ideal system I would have created. Anyway, uh, so here's just a crazy person being crazy. This is from Right Wing Watch. David Barton claims non-Christians' fear of death led to public policy panic on COVID-19. Uh, David Barton, if you don't know, is the fake historian Glenn Beck has on his show. Basically, his entire life is dedicated to Christian fundamentalism. He wrote a book on Thomas Jefferson that is considered to be the least accurate book in circulation on Jefferson. That is amazing. I trust this man, as does Glenn Beck, as does Glenn Beck. Uh, so here's what he said. Religious right historian and Republican political advisor David Barton said less than a said last week that government have shut down the country out of fear and panic because America has become so secularized that people fear death because they don't have confidence that death will bring them an eternity in heaven. Hey, Barton. Barton. Do Christians just not fear death? Like, seriously, do they just not fear death? Are you telling me that, and there are examples of Christian martyrs, don't get me wrong, I'm not pretending otherwise, but the majority of people do fear death. That is an objective fact, regardless of religion. Regardless of religion. Barton made his comments during an appearance last week on Stand in the Gap, a radio program produced by the American Pastors Network. During the show, Barton, true to form, Mangled historical facts and used actual facts to promote dubious narratives. Barton began by listing a series of epidemics and pandemics that have taken place on American soil, beginning with the smallpox epidemic during the colonial period. Um, I mean, we weren't shutting things down during that time because we were kind of fighting a war, David. 
And by the way, that wiped out most of the Native American population. Uh, so, congratulations. That's your example. And the Native Americans were very religious, by the way. They were very, they were more spiritual than we think about as opposed to fully religious. But they were nonetheless sort of mystical and spiritual and all that. They did have very complex religions. Seriously. Uh, Barton said that COVID-19 has killed about one out of every 100,000 Americans. He referred to over 30,000 U.S. deaths caused by the coronavirus. Though, as of writing, the number is approaching 60,000. Barton contrasts the death rate with the smallpox epidemic of 1633 when he said, quote, the mortality rate was over 70%. So he said, quote, the fear factor was much, much greater back then. I mean... Here's the thing Barton doesn't realize. We really didn't have to take free precautions because it was primarily Europeans who had immunity to it that were catching it. Smallpox did not kill very many white Europeans. It killed mostly Native Americans, and it killed the hell out of them. Like, wow. Um, but anyway, but people suffering in 1633 didn't panic, Barton said, because of their belief in God. But the difference was, is him talking, they were much more grounded with God. As you look across Massachusetts, as you look across the New England areas, so many of those guys had come here on the Bible on religious liberty. And for them, death was, that was a step into eternal life. Today, this is the most secular America has ever been. And so, we're watching governors and mayors respond out of fear and panic and shutting down stuff that's never been shut down before because they're just scared to death somebody's going to die. And so, the confidence of courage is really what we don't see right now nationally. Uh, why aren't the governors of religious states... I mean, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, is one of the most religious governors in the U.S., no, he's a secret atheist. Shut up. Just shut up. Uh, standing the gap host Sam Rodner emphasized Barton's point, but a point you made there I think is worth touching on, and that is the worldview of people at the time caused them not to panic or to fear because of the fear of death. Well, that you couldn't really shut things down at that time. Like, this is comparable to Wyoming is what we're basically comparing it to. And we still haven't shut down Wyoming. Or whatever that's worth. Okay? So right there, this comparison is kind of bullshit. And even then, even then, back when most of the world was farming, you couldn't really shut anything down. If you didn't water your crops, they'd die. Okay? You're going to risk eating smallpox. It's either that or you don't eat. It wasn't so much God as it was necessity, David and Sam. Because they knew, as we know as believers, that if we are to pass away, we're only going to step from here into eternity with the Lord. And why are you taking any safety precautions in your own life? Why are you even wearing a seatbelt? I think it was Bill Maher who said that if you so believe in God, why are you wearing a seatbelt? Um... We're only going to step from here into, yeah, into eternity with the Lord. And that's what we want to do. 
But for those who do not know the Lord or have rejected a biblical worldview understanding of God and redemption, they frankly have a reason to fear at these days. Wow, they had a reason to fear back then, but they did not. Oh, bullshit. Because they, because of their belief in God. Um, Barton's history has frequently been challenged by legitimate historians. His Christian publisher pulled his book about Thomas Jefferson after scholars, including conservative Christians, challenged its accuracy, so it seems wise to examine Barton's claims. No, it really isn't. But is there anything else he says? Okay, let's see. Barton returned to his themes. The U.S. policy during the pandemic has been influenced by the increasing number of non-Christian Americans. He said early American biographers always described how people died because of a person, quote, showed fear and panic looking into eternity. It was a sign that they weren't a Christian because a Christian, quote, wouldn't have had a fear of death. Um, so tell me, does that mean that anyone who gets medical treatment is just fears death because they're not a Christian? Seriously, I'm being serious. Again, Barton, are you? do you think you're making some kind of sacrifice by staying alive? Is that it? Because this is just egotism. I'm sorry, but Barton, this is just egotism. There's no other way to put it. You're an egotist if you believe this. If you believe, oh, I'm better because I'm staying alive when I'd be better off if I were dead. First off, that's the view of a depressed person. Go to a psychiatrist. Second off, no, you're an egomaniac. You're a depressed egomaniac. Congratulations, David Barton. Okay, last thing for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Sebastian Gorka, the radio host who also had some role with Donald Trump. I forget the exact role. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, oh, I guess not. Eh. Who served as a president? He was the deputy assistant to the president for a while. Eh. Now he has a radio show. Uh, here is what he said with a collar. I'm going to read you out this transcript. It is just worth taking a minute. Collar, I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory. Let's assume that China released the virus by mistake. Gorka, yes. Collar, then they closed down internally in their country. Let's assume that they deliberately released it to the rest of the world, knowing that their economy is going to be destroyed. And in order to maintain that position, they had to take down the economies of the rest of the world with them, which they effectively succeeded in doing in many countries. Gorka, yes, I don't think that's crazy conspiracy theory. I know you're all shocked. Relax. It's okay. I think this is one of the more likely scenarios. I'm not even going to respond to any of that. Just, I'm Ephraim, and good night.